Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the interview series on Multimedia Men Podcast Network. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the host with the most, the man who I'm just going to go through life living in this cold tundra. But today, finally, it's above 70 degrees. Mark Schaffordini. So good to see your face, my man. You too, man. It was a. Uh, a couple of days for us in, in Dallas. We've gone from parkas and I think they call it Dalaska to um, I've been running around with my shirt off. So uh, good to be letting these fly. Right, right. So yeah, we're all good here finally, but we have a very special episode today. Uh, we have a fantastic, excellent filmmaker, intercontinental champion of movies coming to the podcast. Joining us today, John Swab. Welcome to the show. The intercontinental champion of movies. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, we're looking forward to talking uh, with you about your new film, Body Brokers, which has an all-star cast, a great story. We're going to get into all of that and film, music, television, all of it. But first, we've got to start at the beginning. John, where did it all begin for you in movies? Was it something you watched on television at home? Was there a certain thing you watched? Did you make something as a kid? Where did it all begin? Uh, kind of, you know, bits and pieces from everywhere. I mean, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, our greatest kind of pop culture um, achievement contribution is The Outsiders uh, or Rumblefish. And, um, you know, so when I was a kid, I kind of clung to those films a lot and uh, never knew how movies are made. I was always interested in them. And uh, I'm a writer first. So I started writing um, you know, when I was a kid in high school and kind of used it as a way to escape. And, uh, you know, I made my first short film at, I think I was, I don't know, 20. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. I remember seeing the footage that night and looking at it and being like, oh shit, this looks like, uh, actually looks you know, like it's got some promise. And, uh, ever since then I've been working my ass off to, uh, get a career. Yeah, that's good. Do you remember uh, what like the first like little story or little screenplay you wrote when you were in school? Yeah, I mean, I wrote um, what was a uh, a very shitty um, version of uh, my first film, Let Me Make You a Martyr. I wrote that when I was 16 uh, and it turned into my uh, my first feature. But the, the draft I wrote was more of a novel than a, than a, than a screenplay at the time. That was kind of the first thing I committed to writing. That's uh, well, that's cool, and you that that had quite a few people in it, right? Yeah, I mean, it had it had some pretty cool actors for the size of the movie it was. I mean, we had about I don't know two hundred and fifty grand for that, and you know, um, Mark Boone Jr. from Sons of Anarchy, uh, Nico Nicotero from Sons of Anarchy, Sam Corton, who's a great indie actress, who's also my wife, and in uh, Body Brokers, um, and then we had Marilyn Manson in there. I mean, it was a pretty cool cast for any film. That's cool. So I, you said that when you were watching uh, the screening or like what you did of the day, you had that, you know, that little moment where you were like, oh, shit, I'm good at this. I need that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I'm not a technical director. I'm not getting better at it and understanding, you know, cameras and, uh, you know, 
technology and all that kind of shit. I'm much more um, just get in there and figure everything out kind of guy. Um, so, you know, to, to kind of see the fruits of this labor and of this dream that I had to be a filmmaker, uh, you know, uh, be playing the footage and it look up to par with, uh, with indie film. It was pretty cool. Awesome. Well, you know, one of the things about the, the this film is I just can't get over the cast that you pulled together. I mean, both the performances and both the selection of these, um, I don't know if iconoclast is the right word, but just there's just a variety of very dense and very seasoned a- actors. Um, did you ever imagine that you would pull this team together? And who was your first, who was the first person that came to mind? Um, you know, I don't, in terms of imagining this cast, I, I guess, no, but at the same time, I've, I've worked really, really hard uh, up until this point. So I, I always, you know, was hopeful and confident that at a certain point I'd start aligning with people that, you know, I looked up to and, and you know, um, admire their work. So I was, I was very flattered that it ended up happening here. And, you know, it's happened in my prior films too. But um, the first person I went to was Melissa, uh, Melissa Leo. Um, she's become, you know, uh, somewhat of a mentor to me and really helped me uh, and helped guide me and, and teach me things about directing and writing. And so when I finished the script, I showed it to my producer and uh, partner in these films, Jeremy Rosen, and he was ecstatic. And uh, then we immediately went to Melissa, who was, you know, equally as excited and, you know, was uh, happy to happy to get into it and start, start working on it. So. Well, um, we, we've heard that this is uh, an autobiography for you. And uh, one of the most difficult things about any creative endeavors is putting yourself into it and sharing your experiences. Um, I have to say that some of the most compelling scenes were some of the, the sessions where Miss Melissa Leo was the, um, was the doctor listening to these people's stories and, and they're compelling. I, I, I thought they're, uh, I think Tina was the first girl to talk about, her, her, her kids, and they, there's a lot of gravity to that. So uh, how much, was it difficult putting yourself out there, I guess, and, um, and, and what helped make these scenes so legitimate? And that, and that character, uh, Tina, was uh, your wife, right? Correct, correct, right. yeah. So, um, you know, it helps to give personal material to people you trust. Um, you know, and, and obviously Tina, that to me was, was really where the film kind of first you found its heart, you know, and really kind of starts pulling on the audience's emotions and, and connection to these people. Um, and so Tina, you know, and Sam did such a great job. Um, you know, I guess, yeah, it's hard. And I think about it too much. I guess it makes me anxious or nervous to get really personal with material. But at the end of the day, I mean, um, you know, Melissa Leo saying my words, uh, my wife saying my words, uh, Frank Grillo, Michael K. Williams, all these people are, are are coming and giving something very personal of themselves to this story, too. So I don't feel like exposed or, uh, you know, super vulnerable um, at the end of the day, because everybody else is, is equally um, giving themselves to the project as well. So It was a fantastic cast of characters. And I just got to say, fuck, thank you for getting Peter Green in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was that was actually kind of you know I mean I was excited about everybody uh, but Peter was kind of like a good friend of mine um, 
uh, he, and I had kind of a discussion about this movie and I told him about the characters and he said, what about Peter Green? And uh, I would have never thought about him otherwise. I'm a huge Peter Green fan, but um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just uh, such an iconic uh, character actor. He's, he's really incredible too. Very proud of that cast. He he is, and like I like that role when you cast him because he's also pretty menacing, but he's like a doctor, you know, like because he's supposed to kind of be like, you know, what I see most doctors, I guess, it'd be like family friendly, you know, warm. But him was not, and I loved that you wrote him that way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So Peter, you know, I don't play tricks on people, um, you know, in terms of like I don't. I don't typically play tricks on, on actors, but, um, but Peter, I had given him um, a version of the scene that was different than what we shot. And I wanted that character to have a sense of uneasiness and, you know, um, kind of a a weird hostility and awkwardness towards uh, Jack or or, uh, Utah and, um, and Wood. So that day I gave Peter, I mean, it's like about an hour before he shot, I gave him completely new lines to read and changed up everything. And he got pretty frustrated with me and, uh, and, you know, made everybody nervous because uh, he got pretty animated with his frustration. But it was actually great because we just started rolling the cameras and threw him in there. And that kind of turmoil that he had, I think really came across where it felt like, you know, this doctor was embarking on this, you know, uh, you know, these, this pretty shady uh, business and pretty evil business. And you can kind of feel the conflict in Peter there um, and, and kind of this, this weird hostility towards Wood, who in his eyes is just a thug coming in to shake him down. He's giving him, you know, he's getting cheated on the amount of money he's making and all that. So it was, uh, it was, it was a really fun day to work with Peter. And picking up on what Brian said about the menacing quality of him, like you're saying, his, his energy. I, I just love that line where he just goes, I have a fucking degree on my wall. <laughs> he's trying to like <laughs> yeah. assert himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, that, you know, Peter made took agency over his words, rightfully so. And, and kind of, I just let him go. I mean, with Peter Green and, and with Michael Kay. And with Frank Grillo um, and with Melissa, I mean, I write the script, but at a certain point, I just give them the keys to the car and I just get to sit back and watch them do their thing. And that's what's really amazing. So Peter in that last scene, uh, you know, he was he was ad limbing a lot and it was all just like pure gold. I wish I could have used it. It was so good. So. Mm. You know, of all the characters, the one I was more taken with just because his sort of um, his dynamic nature was uh, Owen Campbell playing Sid, just how sort of uh, weaselly he was, just the way he, you know, the way he reacted to things and just his mannerisms. Uh, Did you have to, I guess maybe who did you have to give the most direction to and who surprised you by just flying off the handle? Um, So Owen, I actually wrote that part for. I had never, I had never met him. I saw him in a very small part in uh, Miseducation of Cameron Post, and my wife and I were watching the film, and I, uh, I was like, that kid's the best part of this whole movie. I mean, and he had a very, very small part, and I was like, I'm going to write, you know, Sid for him. Um, and, you know, he was, uh, the things he picked, on, uh, picked up on, like the nuances, I don't know where, and he had never been in rehab. Um, he's a really good kid, but... You know, the, the, uh, 
response to his character by people who have been to treatment has been hysterical because everybody's like, I know that guy. I think I know who that guy was based off of, you know, and, and it's, it's true. I mean, every rehab has a Sid. Um, and, you know, he did such a fantastic job. I, I had so much fun directing Owen because he was, you know, some people are very, uh, very guarded and very protective of, you know, how far they're willing to go or, or want to go um, when they're, when they're acting. But Owen was like, just let's, let's go as far with this as possible. Let's have a lot of fun. So I had a great time with him. Alice who plays Opal. Um, I wasn't familiar with her work prior to working with her, but I, I was blown away. I mean, I've dated uh, Opals. I've been with Opals. I know plenty of them. And she completely transformed herself into a, uh, into who I, you know, wanted that character to be, and who that character really is in real life. Um, I mean, everybody. I, mean, was, I, I don't have any complaints um, or, or stories of, uh, you know, things that were hard to get to with an actor in this uh, on this film. I mean, everybody came prepared, and and I, I'm really proud of the work everybody put into this. So, good deal. Great. Yeah. Um, so, oh God. Uh, yeah, and just, and just picking up on on the fact, you know, I noticed in the credits that it said actually, you know, you wrote and directed, which is very admirable. But it also, you got a credit for casting, which you know I don't typically see that in a film. Like, you know, the director would usually have an input on who gets the part, but you don't see casted by Scorsese. So uh, I guess how did that come about, and how important was that to gain for this this autobiography? Well, I mean, you know, my partner Jeremy and I, we, I mean, our films. So, I mean, I could write that I, you know, uh, invented the universe and the English language and put in the credits and nobody could stop me. So, I mean, it wasn't like I had to ask permission for the casting director credit. Um, Jeremy and I both, and, and him more so than I a lot of the time, um, we do all of our casting. I mean, we're friends with a lot of these people. And, uh, you know, we, we like to work with people we know. So, you know, it kind of, I think it happened on our prior film, Room with the Hunted, where we, as a joke, took casting director credits um okay. <laughs> and then and then you know on body burgers we just did it again because you know uh people are always taking credit where credit's due and and we just kind of kept it up on this because we're really proud of the cast and you know we did the casting you know so right. fair enough <laughs> like the answer i like that um so the film body brokers i feel like there's there's this uh new kind of storytelling in movies right now um it's kind of like almost like a true crime however it's a true crime about legal mafias sort of run so like with the new movie on netflix called i care a lot it kind of showcases elderly abuse with people getting guardianship and this kind of showcases kind of not necessarily illegal activity uh but the legal workings of a company that's looking to profit off of people trying to get better and i really loved that uh element to body brokers because it's something i never would have thought of uh, but you um i heard in interviews that you might have brokered people before too and i'm just curious on what um what that was like and what that was like for you and what ultimately led you to uh, do movies after that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I got sober about five and a half years ago, right after my first film. Um, and so I've made now three films since and, and I'm about to make another one, but in terms of 
what led me um, to make this film. Yeah, I mean, I've done about two and a half years total in inpatient treatment uh, myself. And so my, my knowledge of all of this is, is pretty uh, lengthy and in depth. And, you know, like you said, I, I've, I've done some brokering at the time when I was getting, uh, when I was in treatment, it hadn't really become uh, the business it is today. So I was pretty naive to what I was doing. You know, I was a drug addict and people were saying, Hey, I'll pay you to go here or I'll pay you to get this person to go there. And, you know, the people that were paying me uh, were people that I thought were trying to help me. So I didn't really see anything wrong with it. Um, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and and I've gotten enough time away from it to kind of see what all this turned into and how, you know, corrupt and terrible this whole scam is. But, um, you know, I, uh, I got clean. I didn't want to make any movie about addiction. Um, I made... Uh, run with the hunted and then my wife was filming a movie out in LA and I went out to visit her and I met up with um, some people that run treatment centers and they really broke it down for me how big this thing had gotten how much money was being exchanged between people and uh, they introduced me to some body brokers that were you know I guess that the head of their class and that make an unbelievable amount of money and those guys were willing to you know, it's, it, criminals usually are excited to talk to you and tell you how amazing of a criminal they are. And uh, these guys were, were no different and were enamored with the idea of their story being told in the film. And, you know, the things they told me shocked me, blew me away. And uh, it, it, a lot of it echoed my own experience, um, but I just made a few different choices. And otherwise, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty much the same person as they are, came from the same place. So, you know, after hearing all that and, uh, you know, having been through it and, and gotten sober and uh, changed my life, I, I felt a sense of responsibility to tell this story because you know, there's a lot of people that are that, you know, every day that get the courage to ask for help and, and want to quit and do the right thing and turn their life around. But you know, the irony is, is only when they finally do that are they really about to be taken advantage of. Um, you know, by this whole industry and how it's set up. So, you know, it's a long-winded answer, but uh, that's what motivated me to tell this story and um, where it kind of came from. Right. And I loved the, you know, the narration of, uh, you know, uh, Frank's character talking about how much money is made, how many shelters there are, and then just kind of seeing that transition of somebody like uh, Utah, just, you know, rock bottom wanting to get better and then entering a, like this paradise utopia of like great people, cleanliness, and then meeting somebody like Woods uh, and uh, Frank's character to that, like, just seemed like, oh my goodness, these are the coolest people alive and they're going to help me. And I just like how Utah kind of just sees things from afar, but, you know, you don't want to get too close to it. I just, I, you, you did a good job with that. Uh, no, I appreciate that. I mean, um, you know, that that's really been the most validating thing of all this is, is all the treatment people, people that, you know, in recovery, I mean, their seal of approval means more to me than anything. And uh, according to those people, you know, we, we told their story and uh, that was most important. So, you know, even down to, you know, the treatment center scenes, um, 
in that, that section of time that he's in treatment, it, it, it lags and it kind of feels like, where's this going? Um, but that's very intentional because when you're in treatment and you're just kind of stuck in this place with nothing to do, but think about what you've done, it, it feels like forever. So um, we're really proud of, of how honest of a depiction we, we told with this film. Good. It's good. And then I have to bring up, of course, the, the musical score and the first credit uh, song by Action Bronson, which was awesome. I was like, is that Action Bronson? I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, uh, collaborating on the musical score for the film and then uh, the, mu- the song choice, specifically, I guess, Action Bronson? Uh, yeah, so the score was done by a guy named Chris Keating, who's actually um, the lead singer and, and co-founder of the band Yesayer, which is a really cool band. Um, and he lives, I live in upstate New York. He's a friend of mine up there and, uh, it was his first time scoring a film. So it was a lot of fun. Um, it's always, it's always fun working with people who, you know, have never worked on a film before because they're that much more excited and enthusiastic about, about doing it, giving it their all. Um, so that was really cool. And then in terms of like the cue choices, like action Bronson or jungle or little Sims, um, yeah, I mean, I guess Action Bronson specifically, I just think that's such a great song. And it, and it kind of sunk up perfectly at the end there where it, um, you know, the piano and this kind of swooning thing after, you know, the finality of, of what happens with Utah. Um, it just kind of worked perfectly. Uh, you know, that's the thing about music is it either works or it doesn't. And, um, you know, in this case, it did. really happy about it. Good deal. Uh, you know, going back to the story, it pretty much all takes place in Southern California, and it's it's amazing this what happens in such a small part of the country. And you know, when Frank Grillo says "do the math" and starts to tell you about everything that's happening, it's almost too much to believe. And the fact that that's not the whole it doesn't represent the whole U.S. It's just a small pocket. I guess how much of it expanded after this, and and how much of of, of cracking down on it is happening. Um, so that's a good question. I mean, this happens in other places, specifically in Southern Florida. Um, and you know, there are kind of little rehab hotspots popping up everywhere now. Um, and then the problem is that a lot of the laws, as it says in the film at the end, a lot of laws that govern these places are pretty archaic and, uh, you know, need to be updated. So, um, you know, there's a lot of money in it. And like you said, I mean, the film kind of focuses on Southern California, but uh, South Florida, I've been there too. And it's equally, if not more fucked up and disgusting how they're doing business down there. Um, but, you know, what's happening now, I mean, it's, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, you know, we just got an email today. There, there was a, a board of substance abuse, something from California, the state board sent us a letter telling us we need to, you know, change the, uh, the the terminology based on true events on this because they think we paint treatment centers in a bad light, which we basically told them to fuck off. And you know, there's been a a nice uh, a nice uproar from the legislatures that have been trying to get these bill, bills passed to enact change in the treatment industry. And and they're actually organizing a screening in Sacramento and the Capitol in California for you know the people that would be voting on that bill. So, I mean, hopefully there's some change that comes from the film. I mean, I didn't, 
I, I was I was hopeful that that could possibly happen. But in my mind, I'm just making this for all the people that have been through this and uh, want to validate their stories. No, that's fantastic, especially if, you know, whether whether unintentional or, or intentional, something like that happens. It's almost as impacting if um, as if somebody were to say, hey, you know what? I think we should show Requiem to a Dream for kids in junior high school. And I think within 10 years, we may never have a drug problem in the U.S., but <laughs> just wish you thinking. Well, I, uh, I saw it when I was in high school and I still started shooting dope. So I don't know how that <laughs> <Okay>. plan would <laughs> work. <laughs> Um, testimonial but, but no I get, I get the idea I get the idea yeah um, great so well I have I have two geeky technical questions and I just like to I like to dive into things I see on screen there's there's a part when uh, where Wood and Utah meet Frank Grillo's character in a parking lot and it looks like you align the car perfectly with um, skid marks or street skid marks in the parking lot was that to show that he came to the parking lot really fast and did a spin out or was it already there and you aligned it with it is do you even recall yeah, that I mean, scene? honestly it, it was it was yeah i definitely do I mean, it was there and it was funny we just happened to kind of set up you know in that part of the parking lot that's where we were allowed to shoot and we had parked the car actually like three or four spaces down and that parking lot's very clean um except for those those skid marks so it was like all right well you know, it, it kind of fucked up the framing because it was so glaring. Um, you know, having the skid marks on the left side of the frame and then the car on the right, so we just decided to kind of line it up. And just to add to the tension of the scene, um, you know, that maybe they came in really hot and uh, peeled into the parking lot or something like that. Um, okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't an intentional, uh, you know, we didn't set dress that. It just happened to be there and we made use of that's, okay, that's cool. great because he came in because he drives a Porsche, right? Porsche. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Frank Porsche. Frank drives the Porsche, um, but uh, I think it's I think it's Utah's car or it's Woods' car okay. that actually was parked with the skid marks. Okay. Oh, like a Charger or a Challenger? Yeah, one of Charger. Yeah. Right, right, right. One of okay. those two. Yeah. Okay. And the second one, uh, there's a part in a movie where I, I believe it's also Frank Grillo, if not Wood, who says, uh, "Why don't you get a haircut?" and utah never gets a haircut so was that done so that you'd have continuity between shots or did you just not want a haircut uh no you know Fr- frank uh is the king of ad-libbing <laughs> he, he he had a, a lot of lines like little one-liners uh when utah was leaving that were you know pretty funny um and uh that was just one we kept just because you know it was it was funny but yeah he never ends up getting a haircut and uh Spoiler. Yeah, I think Sorry. probably for continuity. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, I, re- yeah. I remember that because I expected the next scene to have because I, I thought to myself, what's it going to look like without the hair? What is he going to be the clean cut, you know, Metallica album type of guy? Or I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. <laughs> but uh, well, you know, with Body Brokers done and it's coming out, you said you're working on a new film, and that new film is called Ida Red, correct? Yeah, so we already finished Ida Red back in um, September, and I've actually it's been edited. It's it's pretty much done. We're just putting some ADR now. Um, that's a really exciting movie, and but I'm prepping for another one. We're going to shoot in in April. Um, so down here doing that now. But yeah, Ida Red's done. It's fucking really cool. Can't wait to to share that with you. 
Well, it's a hell of a cast, including, you know, returning champs, Melissa Leo and Frank, but you got Josh Hartnett, who we love, William Forsyth, Sophia, Deborah, Bo. I mean, that's a pretty great cast. And I'm just so glad. I love when filmmakers work with actors many times over because it shows that there's chemistry, you know what you're doing together. Yeah, I mean, that's how I like to do it, uh, you know. Um, and this new one that we're setting up now is no exception. So um, we're excited to get into that. And it's, yeah, it's always nice. I like a family vibe. I like working with people I know and that like to work with me and that, you know, we trust each other. It just makes the whole, um, makes everything much easier. And um, when, uh, since you are from Oklahoma, do you love uh, filming and shooting in Oklahoma? Just because, you know, we're from Texas and we love doing stuff in Texas. But I know Oklahoma has, you know, its weather stuff, you know, the Tornado Alley stuff, just like uh, Dallas does. But I'm curious if you just, if you prefer Oklahoma, just because, you know, I know Mark went to college there and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's, it's, I love it. I love filming here. I have more resources here. Um, the production value is, is amplified that much more because of, you know, uh, the people I know and the things I can do um, here versus other places. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to work from home, you know, and be able to, uh, to use the things, you know, and, and as an indie filmmaker, you, you can only, you're only as good as the resources you have. Uh, you know, I'm not making these films with a ton of money, so I've got to ask for a lot of favors, and I, I get more favors here than other places. Good deal. Sure. And you're like, it seems like you're just not stopping. You're, you know, you are working, you know, from one project to the next, and that's great. Even, you know, in these crazy times, that's a uh, good keeping busy. And you're, I, I like, I like that. I, I like not waiting five or 10 years for another filmmaker's movie, especially ones I like. So I'm glad you're just constantly releasing stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm going to have like early onset dementia from, from all this stuff. Uh, I'm sure I already don't know what, you know, fucking day it is or what's going on most of the time um, because I'm keeping my brain so active, but uh, yeah, I put down the needle and I started making movies. So, you know, one addiction for another. <laughs> so, so what is the uh, what's the secret to working with a spouse? I had a little discussion with my wife, and she talked about, well, what happens if we work at the same company or something? Well, I said, well, that just means you get to tell me what to do twenty four hours a day. At least I get an eight hour break. Um, what's the what's the secret with working with your wife? Um, that's a good question, and I, I don't have one. Uh, sure all answer i mean we've, we've been through a lot together and we've kind of you know it, it hasn't always been easy not always easy i just shot a music video for her band um a few weeks ago and you know it's it's always we just i just gotta know who's in charge if it's my movie i'm in fucking charge if it's her band music leader she's in charge and it's really just kind of knowing like who's got the final say on anything and then you know we also don't stay together Together, you know, we both stay in hotel rooms, um, and we tr we try and keep it as professional as possible. So, uh, but she's, you know, the love of my life and my muse, and you know, cares as much about these films uh, as I do. So, you know, that's rare. That's rare to get from anybody. So, besides my producer Jeremy, I mean, my, Sam's, you know, cares as much as as anybody else. So, it's uh, it's really a blessing when you get to work together and, and understand. You know how hard it is to make these things. So. 
Okay. Well, thank you. Next time I go on a family trip, I'll tell my wife to get another hotel room. Yeah, get, get a separate room. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like genius advice. My God. John told me to do it. John told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a bit of the fun question segment for you, John. Uh, what is the most thrilling movie experience, both as a film director and as a fan for you? As a, as a, um, in seeing a movie or working on a movie? Yeah, both, both like as a filmmaker. So like what's your most thrilling moment as behind the camera and then just as a fan going to movies or something like that. Most thrilling experience. Um, in terms of going to the movies, I don't know. I mean, I, I love all films. So I, you know, anytime I get to go to a movie theater is a special experience for me. And I, I went the other day, luckily, because, you know, it's open here where I am. Um, but I remember seeing a few films when I was a kid. I saw El Topo. Um, oh, oh, yes. And, and that was like... Eye-opener. I rem- Yeah, I remember where I was. <laughs> and I'm from, you know, the Bible Belt. And, uh, and you know... The, indie cinema or you know foreign cinema didn't really permeate or, or penetrate here for for you know until recently really but my buddy brought over an el topo vhs and we watched it and uh i remember feeling really sick to my stomach uh, because i'd never seen anything like that on film um i didn't even know it was possible so that that was really huge for me because it was like wow somebody gave this guy money to tell this story uh, which is an amazing story and i'm a huge fan of Jaworski's work, but it, that really blew my mind. And also, you know, I remember seeing Reservoir Dogs for the first time. I must have been, I don't know, five or six. Um, <laughs> five or and, six. And I remember, you know, uh, again, being very sick to my stomach when, you know, he's bleeding out in the back of the car and squealing. And I just had never seen anything that this, um, you know, I, I, and not to, you know, Tarantino again. I went over to my buddy's house. Uh, I must have been like, third grade and his dad was watching tv and a movie was on and you know this 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 big guy's got a gag ball in his mouth and peter green (laughs) is is you know pumping him in the ass and my buddy's dad was like eating a burger and just hysterically laughing and i remember like sitting there and be like what the fuck is going on like this is the craziest thing i've ever seen he's laughing like what is that and uh you know, I ended up, we ended up watching the whole movie a couple nights later at my buddy's house and it blew my mind. So, I mean, I, those were kind of my first, uh, first introductions to, to things outside of, you know, normal Hollywood movies, uh, blockbuster films. And they really had a big impact on me because I, I saw what was possible outside of what, you know, normal film structure was. So anyway, those are, those are a couple answers in terms of things being, I've seen. Being the fan. Uh, yeah. But then yeah, being, it, being the fan. <laughs> Uh, being a fan and then you know having peter green you know bringing a full circle and having him wearing that lab coat and and just kind of reeling off words i mean that was really cool that was amazing um you know so i I don't know anytime i'm on set and i get to to see these people act uh and 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 make my words their own is is totally surreal to me so uh, i don't i don't have one specific memory but every time is is special to me so 
Cool, cool. Um, and I know you've already given a couple of scenes with that last answer, but we ask everybody this, but uh, are there any particular scenes from movies that have always stuck with you? I know you mentioned El Topo. I know you mentioned Reservoir Dogs, but are there any others that, you know, you kind of wake up and you're like, fuck, that was good. I need to, this inspires me. Um, I mean, all all sort. I watch movies all. I watch a ton of movies, man. So I mean, there's it's if it's not one, it's another. I mean, the other. I was, I'm obsessed with uh, this scene from Collateral where Tom Cruise uh, pulls the gun and shoots like four people in like under two seconds. Um, I was thinking about that this morning when I woke up. Um, that's such so an underrated movie, too. Damn that movie! Oh, good. it's like it's like one of the coolest movies ever. Um, so I um that's my scene for today that i've been thinking about nice and that's one of the few movies tom cruise is kind of a villain in yeah i guess magnolia he's kind of a villain villain too um, right you know but those are those are my two favorite tom cruise moments uh magnolia and collateral nice 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 i like that um anything else mark uh, yeah, just uh, real quick. How did you uh, meet up with Thomas Decker? He had a movie a couple of years ago called Jack Goes Home with Carrie Ann Culkin and Lynn Shay, And that was a pretty good turn from Lynn and, and Karen, uh, so to speak. Uh, so how did you uh, how'd you meet him? It wasn't Kieran. It was um, it was the other. Oh, it was Rory. That's right. It was Rory. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jack or uh, I call him Jacko because that's his name. Uh, Thomas. Thomas, you know, Thomas wrote me a very nice letter. Uh, he somehow got a hold of this script and he wrote me a very, very nice letter saying, you know, saying that he understood this material and, and kind of how he understood it and how it hit home for him. And, you know, I always will cast somebody who, you know, even if, and, and Thomas certainly wasn't perfect for the role, but even if they're not um, what I had written, but their, their relationship to the role is, is very personal. It's, it's worth taking a look at and thinking about because he, he brought something to that that, uh, you know, was very real and believable. So that he wrote a letter and, you know, we, we, we cast him. So. Oh, well, there you go. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks. Well, that was, uh, that was great. Um, that wraps up this episode, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, body brokers, uh, John, tell everybody where they can find body brokers. Anywhere but Netflix, Hulu, or HBO Max. Anywhere else you can find it. iTunes and Vudu. iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, Fandango Now, fucking cable, all that shit. Awesome. You You porn? Yeah. (laughs) You porn. um, You know, I hope so. (laughs) Hope it can help me there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. We, it was a pleasure and hopefully we'll have you on the show again for your next two films. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to it, man. All right. Have a, have a great uh, rest of the day. You too. You too. Thank you guys.